Welcome to the Global Medical Device Podcast, where today's brightest minds in the medical device industry go to get their most useful and actionable insider knowledge, direct from some of the world's leading medical device experts and companies. Welcome to today's podcast, How Can Your Design Reviews Improve? It's the third in our podcast series focused on design controls and related topics within the medical device industry. During today's podcast, we're going to touch on some interesting aspects of design reviews that are sometimes controversial and other times simply overlooked. My name is Bill Loss. I've spent the last 20 years in the startup world and actively invest and advise in the medtech space. Thanks for listening in. Before we get into the heart of today's discussion, let me quickly introduce the three industry veterans joining us today. First up, Jason McKibben. Jason's experience spans more than 15 plus years in the medtech field, including a key role as COO for Medicis. Jason is currently Chief Operating Officer at Greenlight.Guru. We also have with us Mike Drews, President of Vascular Sciences. Mike is an internationally recognized expert and featured keynote speaker on cutting-edge medical technologies and regulatory affairs. I actually had the chance to catch up with Mike firsthand at the recent MDME show in New York. Also joining us is John Spear. John is one of the co-founders of Greenlight.Guru. After kicking around his vision of changing the way medical device companies think about bringing devices to market, John launched Greenlight.Guru, an EQMS solution built exclusively for the medical device community. Guys, thanks for spending some time with us today. Are the three of you ready to roll your sleeves up and get at it? Yes, we are, Bill. Let's go for it. Looking All forward right. to it, Bill. Thanks for the opportunity to join the conversation. Good deal. Let's have some fun. So, Jason, to kick things off a little, I understand your team has taken a pretty unique approach to facilitating design reviews. I wanted to start out by asking you, how do design reviews fit with design controls? Um, design reviews are a critical step in your design and development process. I'm wondering what your team, really inclusive of all the representatives from all the functions, i.e. marketing, engineering, production, clinical, provide a uh, systematic assessment of the current stage within your product development process. It's a necessary forum that allows the team to evaluate the design, uh, voice and resolve concerns, uh, provide feedback, and assess the overall progress of the project itself. Uh, the design review process serves really as a gatekeeper, a checkpoint where the team decides to move forward or to go back or to stop altogether. Um, I personally believe in having more frequent design reviews to ensure your evaluations are more timely and the amount of data information you are trying to digest is, is more manageable. So, John, kind of listening to Jason and, and obviously others uh, throughout your career in the industry dis describe design reviews as really, I guess, more or less a, a set of in, uh, intended checkpoints. What else do you have to offer in terms of how design reviews should also be, I guess, a way to measure or ensure design controls are being captured? I mean, it's it's a uh, design reviews are are you know if you, if you ever refer to that that wonderful. Um, Design control uh, process and, and waterfall diagram um, de defined by FDA. Y you see that there are the design review arrows that uh, come in at, at several points in the process, and I think that that's and you know Jason kind of said some some thing that I believe in as well. More is better, I think, when it comes to design review. 
And I think a lot of times there's there's kind of the opposite um, uh, tendency from designer view or from product development teams that they want to have less designer views because they feel as though you know having another meeting is going to slow things down. But that's kind of the problem I think with with the product development process at times is is we think we're, we're going to slow things down by having a designer view and and actually the opposite could be true. I mean, designer view is a way to communicate with your team what's happening. Uh, it's it's uh it's one of those things where sometimes the extra step actually saves you a bunch of steps. So that uh, that makes a lot of sense, Mike. I, I hear people in the industry referring to the concept of an independent reviewer. Can you explain a a bit further what this is and kind of why it's necessary as far as the design reviews? Well, that's a great question, Bill. Um, as we just heard, Jason and John both did a, a nice job of explaining what the design review is. Um, I'd like to delve into a little bit about why it's important, um, because quite frankly, I see a lot of companies get in trouble when they simply try to um, meet the regulatory requirements, that is, tick off the boxes on the form, but they don't really understand or make an attempt as to why it's there. So the concept of an independent design review is actually quite simple. Asking an engineer to critique their own design is very much akin to asking a parent to critique their child. It's, it's just simply not realistic. It's going to be inherently biased. So the design control regulation reminds us to have an independent review, um, and I do agree with Jason in the sense that more frequent is, is better than less frequent. But the question becomes, what does independent mean? So in many companies, especially larger companies, typically what they'll do is they'll take an engineer from a different group uh, and ask them to review uh, a particular device. Um, but the question is, is that really independent? After all, they're part of the same company. Their paycheck is coming from the same organization. Other times, companies will hire an outside consultant, like perhaps me, to do an independent design review. But once again, is that really independent because the consultant is getting paid by the company? So I can't speak for other people, but what I do when I do these independent design reviews is I want essentially an ironclad consulting agreement, basically saying that no matter what I say, I'm going to get paid. Because if you have somebody come in and just basically tell the, tell you that you're doing a great job, your device is wonderful, and you know everything is, is good to go, then yes, you are meeting the regulatory requirement, but you're not really meeting the intent of the uh, what the what, what the regulation is trying to accomplish. So you know, again, not necessarily being the expert on the on the the podcast here, I, I do understand that as it relates to FDA and ISO. Um, they're very similar on the topic of design reviews, but the one notable, notable, uh, notable difference is really that the FDA specifies the need for this independent reviewer, so to speak, as part of the uh, design review process, and specifically, as, as you just shared, Mike, really uh, an attendee in that process. Jason, picking at that a little bit further, um, how you know it's easy to have a consulting agreement kind of in place to define objectively that this person is independent. Is there any? Any other view that you have in, in terms of really making sure that uh, the independent review is what it is? And to your perspective or, or, or vantage point, how independent does the review really have to be? Um, you know, thanks, Bill. I, I, it's a really complicated question, really. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, in a, in a small company, this can be very difficult. Uh, you know, you have a, a small group of individuals uh, within your organization, and therefore, really truly getting independence, you know, as, as Mike indicated, is, is difficult. 
um, bringing outside you know, consultation is, is probably, you know, at least to have a seat at the table. Um, you know, if it's affordable by, by a small company and even a large company, it's probably your, your best venue or, or avenue. Um, really what your objective is, is is really selecting an independent reviewer to ensure that there's a fresh perspective, new set of eyes, um, you know, someone who hasn't been involved um, or, you know, participated within the, the you know, particular design and development stage. Um, and, and really the intent is to, to look at it, at the, the information objectively and, and make sure that you identify any uh, potential issues or, or uh, critical factors that aren't being addressed or identified and that at the particular stage that you're at, whether, you know, you're in the planning stage or design and development or the uh, uh, development stage, uh, verification, validation, whatever stage you might be, that, that somebody is reviewing that data, you know, with a critical eye that isn't biased or influenced, um, you know, by outside factors. And, and I think, as Mike said, that, that can be very difficult to do. Um, but at the end of the day, just like you would hire an independent review or independent auditor to come in and, and audit your facility, whether it be manufacturing, quality management system, um, you have to rely on some of those relationships. And if you can, if you're a small company, you can't, you know, afford an outside consultant, you know, definitely, um, you know, need to be very cautious and wary about making sure that you have identified the right person to fill that role. John, kind of threading off that a little bit, I, I know you like to publish a lot of content uh, content out there in the industry and give you a chance to maybe back up some of your uh, your written comments with some, some verbal response here. So in one of your recent blog posts, you talked about design controls being objective evidence that really helps prove a device is appropriate, safe, and effective. If we look at design reviews as more of a, a way to define phases or gates, kind of like what we've been talking about, when specifically should design reviews happen? Let's dive into that a little bit deeper. Yeah, it's um, it's it's a really it's kind of a loaded question, and and I I can give you the old cliche response uh, uh, that you hear often when when these complicated questions are are asked specifically around design controls, and that cliche response is it depends. Uh, you know, when design reviews happen, is, is a, there's a few factors that are at play. Um, one is what well, what is the project? What it, what are you developing? I mean, are you developing a new implant device, or are you developing a a um, line extension to to a class one product, or you know, a, a simple catheter or some sort of class two device? I mean, it, so so you got to consider that. The other thing you have to consider, I think, is is who is on the team? Uh, is this team, I mean, are they new? Have they worked together as a team before? Uh, do they have some sort of experience that, you know, uh, uh, is sort of chemistry working on, on previous projects? So those are two important factors. And, and even with those factors, as I said earlier, if you look at design review as something that's going to slow you down, well, you've got the wrong approach altogether when it comes to design review. Design reviews should be more frequent. I mean, I, I look at, if you look at things like user needs and design inputs and design outputs and design verification and design validation, sort of the major chunks or phases or stages or whatever way you want to describe that as, as part of your product development process. I mean, I look at having a design review um, when you've completed, and I'm using quotes here, user needs, and when you've completed inputs and outputs, and when you've completed verification, and when you've completed validation. So very key touch points throughout the product development process. So Mike, kind of 
taken a slightly different stance. You know, so our whole conversation has been around the benefits of design reviews. I gather, Mike, from the years of consulting work that you've done, you've probably heard people say things like, or at least feel like design reviews seem like a waste of time, or, or maybe they're only held to satisfy a checkbox as it relates to the FDA. How do you how do you respond to comments like that? Well, Bill, um, uh, for 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 folks that that see design reviews as a waste of time, um, it would seem to me that either that a they did not go to engineering school, or if they did, they were probably asleep the day that they were teaching this, because like much <laughs> of the design controls, it's just you know all of this. Um, to me is just what I call prudent engineering or common sense. These are things that we should be doing anyway, regardless if the regulation requires us to do it or, or not. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, at the end of the day, as we've discussed in previous podcasts, uh, we are dealing with people's lives here. And so uh, the simple reality is that the vast majority of problems that companies run into uh, are preventable and in most cases are predictable. Um, and so the design review process is an integral an integral part of that, and that's something that, that we should be doing, uh, as both Jason and, and John have already said, more frequently as part of our process uh, as opposed to less frequently. Bottom line, the better we do as, as in terms of design review, the fewer problems we're going to be having in the future. The you know, in listening to to you guys talk about the subject of design reviews and kind of how it's tied into de- uh, design controls, also sometimes here out there in the space, how are design reviews maybe the same or different from what's maybe referred to as phase review? Um, not pointed to anyone in particular. Let's see who jumps on it first. So again, just is there a, is, is it the same or different design reviews and phase reviews? Not all well, jump at once, guys. Nobody's going to win the prize here, you know. I'll, I'll get it started, and then uh, John or Jason, please feel free to to chime in. Look, at the end of the day, I don't really care what we call these things. Shakespeare said a rose band, hey, their name still smells as sweet. So as long as we're doing design reviews, as long as we're doing phase reviews, as long as we're doing them uh, more frequently as opposed to less frequently, how frequently you want to do them, that's up to the organization to decide. Uh, as John alluded to earlier, it depends on the nature of the product. If you're If you're working on a device that's essentially a me too device where there's it's using established technology and there are already 200 devices on the market that are like it then perhaps uh um you know a, a more frequent design review is not necessary on the other hand if you're working on a class 3 truly life sustaining or life supporting implant using a totally new technology that has never been used before where if somebody uses your device they live and if they don't they die obviously in a situation like that design review Reviews should be done more frequently, but the, so the short answer to your question is: as long as we're doing it, I don't really care what we call it. Yeah, that's a, that's a good good way to look at it, Mike. Um, you know, it's uh, I've, I've been I guess kind of back and forth on this on my viewpoint over the the course of my career, and I remember very early on there were some people who were very 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 adamant that the design control process. including designer views, um, was a very uh, special thing that only focused on design controls. And we had this whole other thing uh, that uh, we called our product development process that covered more of the business aspects. And and we'd have a different thing called a phase review. And 
if you consider some of the comments that I made earlier that the project teams already think designer views are a waste of time. I mean, why muddy it and and require them to have a designer view uh, for the design control stuff and then have a separate meeting called a phase review to cover all the other stuff? I mean, they don't they don't want to have meetings now. So so you know maybe you should combine it into one single thing and call it a designer view because guess what? The people who are involved in that phase review. Uh, are probably the same people who need to be involved in that design review discussion. So have one uh, meaningful discussion about what's important about your product development efforts. Call it a design review, document it, create the record, and and keep going to that next that next phase or stage or that design review milestone in your project. Jason, kind of tail and end here our our podcast. It'd be great to uh, give give the people listening in. Uh, maybe some tips or a few things that can improve their design reviews. So, Jason, I'd like to start with you. What thoughts do you have to share that are uh, we can provide really tangible, objective uh, steps or, or, or things people can include as part of getting uh, really amping up their design reviews and making them more effective? Yeah, thanks, Bill. I, I really, I think, as I look at it, I think there's probably three key, you know, areas. One is... Um, you know, one size does not fit all in, in meeting, whether it be the frequency, the size of the team. Um, you know, it, it really, there, there's no, uh, I guess, perfect answer. At the end of the day, you have to look at the design of the device. You have to look at its intent of use. You have to look at, you know, your existing infrastructure and, and really identify what works best. Um, as I said before, I like more frequent. Um, it keeps the, the amount of information um, smaller and more manageable. Um, and also gives you, you know, more inflection points along the, the project itself. I think secondly is make sure you have the right people at the table. Um, you know, when, when people think about design reviews, they typically think about, you know, just, just encompassing engineering. But it's, you know, engineering can represent the technical aspect of it. But, you know, you, you definitely want to have marketing involved, clinical involved. Uh, you want to have different uh, members of the, of the business, your quality team, uh, regulatory team. So really making sure you have the right people at the table because um, really the intent of a, a design review is, is really for, you know, open dialogue and discussion and, and review, review of, of the design and the project itself uh, to make sure that, you know, the path that you're headed is, is producing a safe and effective device. And lastly, I think, you know, it's really to make sure to create an environment or culture within uh, your organization where you build trust. Um, you know, trust is a crucial factor in determining whether or not your design reviews really get to the heart of potential problems and concerns, or, you know, do you just have your team rubber stamp, um, you know, the design review to, to move it along to avoid conflict. Uh, trust will, you know, directly influence your team's ability to engage in healthy dialogue and conflict. I think it's, it's really important um, to, to really get the true, you know, intent out of design reviews. Thanks, Jason. Mike, what would you like to add? So I would like to just uh, leave the audience with a couple of final thoughts. I think both Jason and John did a, a great job of uh, describing briefly the, the purpose, the objective of the design reviews and the flexibility um, that we need in the system to do what makes sense given the particular device that we're working on. I just want to reiterate what we also discussed in terms of why design reviews are important. Remember, asking a child to, uh, I'm sorry, asking a parent to critique their own child is inherently biased. 
so asking a, an engineer to critique their own design um, is equally inherently biased. I would encourage everyone in the audience um, when they're when they're uh, thinking about the design review to truly do what they can to foster an environment, whether you do it uh, with a uh, employee of your organization or an outside consultant. But you want to really make sure that you uh, encourage them you, to say to them, look, we want you to be brutally honest. We want you to really bash the heck out of this thing because um, and, 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 we want to understand where the weak point, points are. And as a matter of fact, I would love to take see the industry take this even a step further. One of my favorite adages is answers are only as good as the questions that you ask. Answers are only as good as the questions that you ask. So in other words, what good is getting the right answer if you're asking the wrong question? And unfortunately, in medicine, this happens frequently. So I would love to see as part of the design review, not simply to um, critique the actual design, but ask, are we designing, I'm sorry, are we solving the right problem? Are we are we designing the right device? If you work as an independent design reviewer for a bare metal coronary stent, what would be wrong with answer, asking the question, gee, is a stent really what we want to do? This is a natural extension of the V&V aspect of the design controls, which is about uh, designing the device right versus designing the right device. And those two things are, are, are very different, as we've talked about in other podcasts. Um, but it's not something that, at least in my experience, the industry um, really focuses on very much. I think we could do a much better job in those, in those lines. And this is something that um, I work really hard to try to get people to, to think about. Interesting, uh, interesting perspective, Mike. John, why don't you wrap us up with a few tips of your own? Yeah, I'm, uh, this is going to seem counter, and it's uh, intuitive to a lot of product development teams out there, uh, but I'll say it. Slow down. Uh, I think sometimes we're in such a rush that we make a ton of mistakes, and we're so hell-bent on getting from from beginning to end that um, there are a lot of mistakes that are made. And I think as teams, you know, the, the, there's... You know, I used to manage, be a project manager, and you know, there's a couple of theories about project management. The um, from a business standpoint, the least uh, risky approach to project management is to do things in serial, to you know, do step A, then step B, then step C. But project teams aren't aren't uh, generally wired that way because oftentimes we're given the due date for our product development efforts before we even start. So then there's this this um, crazy effort to try to figure out if I can do A, B, and C all at the same time. And when I do so, I multitask, I make a lot of mistakes. And I think that the same needs to be said with design reviews. I mean, you asked me earlier about how many design reviews should you have, and I'm going to say have one after your user needs are done. Have one after your design inputs are done. Have one after your design outputs are done. Have one after design verification, after design validation, and when you go to market. I mean, just slow down, and be deliberate about what you're doing. Gentlemen, thanks so much for spending time with us. Your comments and points of views are always uh, very interesting and thought-provoking. To those of you listening in, thank you, and please continue to share your feedback. If you'd like to stay in touch with Mike, you can check out more of what he has to say on his guest column at Medical Device Online Magazine or connect with him on LinkedIn. You can check out more of John's as well as Jason's writings at blog.greenlight.com. Guru or ping either of them on LinkedIn. Till next time, let's continue working towards improving the quality of life on this great planet of ours. Mm-hmm.